Hey, it's Mike from the High Hash Rate Podcast. Just want to take a brief moment here and thank Fountain.fm for really helping us grow our podcast. I mean, this has been a, a fun ride. We're very thankful for all of our listeners. And if you found us through Fountain, uh, which is likely the case, because that's where most of our traffic comes from. What a cool model, right? Podcasting 2.0. But if you are not listening to High Hash Rate on Fountain.fm, we highly recommend it. You can stream sats to your favorite podcasts. You can also create clips and even stack sats by listening to your favorite podcasts. It's that easy. So if you're not a fountain, head on down and download fountain.fm today and start listening and stacking them sats. Specifically, I remember listening to Robert Breedlove interview Jeff Booth about the day, the price of tomorrow and working in the vineyard and just having my mind finally wrap around what prices really should be with like fixed monetary instrument like what what value is what inflation is what deflation is all that just like clicked for me in a moment and that was my aha moment um unfortunately i think i had that at 50,000 went all in and then it crashed to 30 like a week later. So I wish I'd listened to that podcast a week later. But hey, everybody, this is the High Hash Rate Podcast. I'm Mike. And I'm Dan. And this podcast is just two plebs getting high and talking about Bitcoin, life, and the absurdity of the fiat world. Our guests don't necessarily get high with us, and you don't have to either. But it helps. Hey, I'll take it, Mike. Hey. Yeah, so today we have a special <laughs> guest. He is, uh, he is a well-known advocate for portable protein products, uh, otherwise known as the pocket steak. Uh, he's, also, he's also the wine guy. The wine con- Are you a connoisseur? Uh, I just make wine. I'm a oh, wine he's, maker. he's a winemaker, and he chose today, his launch day of his new wine, to, to, to announce on high hash rate or something like that. How you doing, Ben? Oh, I'm doing so good. It's It's been a great day. Lots of support from the Bitcoin community um, and a day I've been waiting for for a long time. I mean, I started baking this wine two years ago. I ordered the grapes two and a half years ago, and I'm finally getting to release it to the world. So uh, awesome. big day. <laughs> so, yeah, if, if if I wasn't clear, we're talking to Ben Justman. He's the Peony Lanes winemaker. Right. And he just launched what he just explained. He just launched his new uh, his new wine today. So let's back up a little bit. Uh, how oh, you, did you, you? I just want to clarify. You fostered that wine for two years. Yeah. Wow. OK. Continue. Dan. That's how we're. Yeah. So let's back up. Let's back up. How did you get into the winemaking business? What what was your journey up to that? I said I grew up on a farm where my dad's life dream was to grow all his own food and within that he had some land that he had to figure out what to do with and his buddy who was a winemaker around here basically told him like if you plant pinot noir i'll buy all the grapes from you once they're ready so you plant pinot you're gonna wait four or five years before you get any real crop um it's still young vines at that point but essentially we got to the point of our first kind of smaller but okay crop and my dad was like, hey, all right, you said you'd buy the grapes from us. From us. I've been working on this vineyard for three years. And the guy, his buddy 
said, I don't want them for the, till the next year. I want the vines to be a little bit more mature. It'll make better wine that way, but I'll show you how to make wine. And after spending hours and hours and hours in the vineyard and realizing that winemaking at, was like 10% of the labor, at least the way my dad saw it, um, my dad never sold him grapes and just started making wine every year. And so I never drank wine as a kid. Um, you know, it wasn't like one of those families where you start the kids super early. Maybe I just didn't ask for it, but, um, grew up working in the vineyard and everything and knew that he was making good wine. And I, you know, I know my dad, like, <laughs> I swear he doesn't have a sense of taste or smell and he was making good wine. So I knew there was something going on with our land, with our climate. And there's a lot of other good wines being made in my region. And so I go to college, uh, I do my thing after college, ski bum, lived in Vietnam for a year, used my degree working as a geologist for a little while, but I knew that wasn't the path. So I started looking for entrepreneurial um, paths. I had a couple side hustles. I was had a sticker business that didn't really go anywhere, but I had the bug. But I was looking for something big to commit to. Like It was kind of a quarter-life crisis of... Um, all right, so what are we going to do? Because I don't want to be a geologist. There's no path there. I got to start a business, but I don't want to do something just halfway. And wine was just sitting there for me. I mean, my dad had all the material or all the infrastructure to get me started in a very small operation, but at least get going. And with wine, you're waiting, like like we said at the top, two years at least before you really start selling anything. So I kind of just jumped in, started making wine, works my job geology for a little bit and then moved back home to western Colorado built a house with my dad while I was still waiting for my wine to age so like I made wine I was a winemaker doing everything but sales and still had to have a full-time job for two years to even get to a point of doing sales um and then yeah once we got there selling wine and um just been growing ever since so there's a lot, that's a, like a lot of a, a, a big journey right there that you, uh, you summarized, which sounds really interesting. I want to go back to, you mentioned going to college, uh, for geology. So what, when you, when you started that, like, what was your interest in geology? What did you want to do with that degree once you graduated and what were you doing? So my plan was to be a physics major and then move into engineering because my school didn't have an engineering program. And then I took one class of geology and the way my school did it was you take one class at a time, three and a half weeks, and then you take four days off and then you start your next class. So do a whole semester in three weeks, one class, super intensive. And with geology, that meant that you had no other focus. So you would just go out into the field. And basically I took this class. I was like, wait, I can go camping for two weeks for school. I'm going to study geology and just basically like flipped on a dime last second I could study geology, just my entire last two years was all geology. Um, just had a great time learning about it. I mean, I never grew up in a, I didn't grow up in a household that was like, get a degree so you can use it. It was get a degree so you can learn and, and you'll figure it out. Um, probably not the best financial decision, but <laughs> it's worked it out. It works out, right? So, um, and where, where did you find Bitcoin along this journey? Was the, you know, do you have a, you know, class of 2020 class of 2017 i don't know if you think about it that mm -hmm. way but where where did that come into play i basically found it out or figured out bitcoin like 
I started buying Bitcoin like basically right before the big run up of the last bull and then figured it out at the top. Um, basically figured it out by freaking out like, how am I going to get a whole Bitcoin? This is insane. I'm never going to do this. It's going to infinity. Uh, but I was living with a Bitcoiner at the time. And so he and I just ha- kept having like conversations. We're both business people. So um, things go to finances and and he convinced me to start looking. So I just listened to Bitcoin podcasts while I was building my house and and the rest is history. That's that's kind of crazy. Like the where you were in life, you're like building a house. It sounds like you came back from you spent some time overseas in Vietnam, right? Which was Oh, I can only imagine an eye-opening experience changed kind of the way that you look at society and just maybe your place in it. And you're kind of, you're building a house and then you start this wine business, which you've already mentioned is like, you do this for several years before you start to make any sales. It's like, you're just living this low time preference lifestyle. Is that, did you realize that's what you were doing or did you kind of start to learn about that through the Bitcoin podcast in the space about like, oh, these are very uh, intertwined lifestyles, so to speak. Or did you just like know like this was what you're the way you've always lived? I think that's the way I always lived, but I didn't have words to describe it. I'd never heard the term low time preference before. Um, I was I've always been like super high time preference and super low time preference, huge juxtaposition where like. I've always been a really big skier and kind of just was an idiot and just would ski crazy stuff and not worry about consequences because I love living in the moment. I mean, I think that's the entrepreneur in me, but generally the baseline has always been pretty low time preference. That's crazy. Like, right. Cause the, I, I lived in Gunnison, Colorado briefly around 2012 uh, and I, I live, yeah, I live with snowboarders. Uh, we go up to Crested Butte and it's like such a free spirited like community, but then you realize like you, you got the formula one racer, the Andretti guy, like this, the famous singer, like they fucking just hit a tree skiing. Right. And like their vegetables or they die. Like, did you, did you ever get seriously injured? Was that ever like, is that something, how did you deal with that mentally? Is that yeah, like why everybody's think- just so chill? A lot of my, like, I had definitely a baseline of, like, some serious low time preference and was raised in that way. But I was, I think my rebellious side was the extremely high time preference. And starting, I mean, I always hit my head a ton and definitely, like, looking back, had a ton, ton of concussions. But starting my senior year of high school, I got two and then another two more freshman year of college and two more the next year and just kept getting them. And it was really just, like, me making stupid decisions in the short run. I mean, some bad luck, but... Um, yeah, I hit this point where it was like, okay, I was still hitting cliff skiing, but it was like, if I don't land this, I'm getting a concussion and I'm not going to be able to like function for the next month. And so eventually it got through my thick skull that I should probably just slow down a little bit. Um, and so that forced me to take a lot more of a, are you out there doing like trick, trick skiing, you know, flips more just more just like hitting cliffs and going fast um, and be trying to be on the edge of control because in my mind, that's like that edge where you're like, a, you know, where you're on the edge of just losing it. You have to be totally locked in and there's serious consequences. That's where like I find true living is um, super high time preference. 
but similar it's like to surfing, an adrenaline similar thing. to jujitsu, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. Um, and <laughs> and 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 right. So you, <laughs> that's that's our so you, sticker. so you kind of run out of cliffs to go. You know, you only have so many concussions in you, right? Like you, you yeah. run out of cliffs to go over. So you're looking for this new edge, this new on the frontier, um, high consequences, high stakes. Do you find? Do you get that thrill out of the out of Bitcoin when we go through some of these market turmoil? <laughs> it, it, yeah, w- without the consequences. Like, shit posting is shooting memes off. That's exactly the same as skiing fast. I tell you what. No, I just mean like you know, watching your watching your net worth go down seventy percent, you know, in two months. You know, yeah, that's, no, that, that's I mean, scary though. Like some people can't handle that. I only buy tops, so um, <laughs> yeah, right there you go. <laughs> no, uh, but ser- I mean. I think that I, I learned that I needed to live without that so much or that that was kind of a coping mechanism for me. And I needed to kind of buckle down and actually find happiness in my like day to day grind, um, moving back home and you no know, moving into my own house and living alone for the first time as well, as well as being a solo entrepreneur has been very much like, I mean, humbling to the fact of like, I'm, I became so much more responsible for my own happiness. So, um, that like responsibility, the forcing function of having to slow down and, um, the great nature, like being on Bitcoin Twitter is like, I've found opened the doors up to like all these different layers of knowledge for, um, baseline human function and happiness. Um, a lot of it from like the esoteric health guys that I kind of was exposed. I needed this. And so I guess I sought it out on instinctually, but like I was exposed to all these things that were like now super beneficial to raising my baseline up and getting. So you see a lot of Bitcoiners that are like, okay, yeah, I want to get now all of a sudden I want to get healthy. And I definitely am that stereotype. Sure. Sure. Like, um, what are you, what are some of your denominations that you follow? Are you a sun guy? Are you a, a a carnivore diet guy? Which ones have you which ones have you incorporated into your lifestyle and kind of kept for your benefit? Well, I started putting meat in my pocket at, at there most times of the day. Um, that was a meeting the the meat mafia guys, Brett and Harry. I was just like, you guys are so vibrant. I want that. What do you do? You just eat a ton of meat. Okay, I'm gonna start doing that. Um, and that's totally like changed my health, um, changed my happiness and everything. I ditched, I stopped wearing sunglasses. Um, I still wear goggles when I ski, but basically I was always getting seasonal depression in the winter. And now I walk more, make sure to get sun. And, and that's, I mean, somewhat cured it. And then yeah, I've, um, I've, I've, I bought I've, an ice cream maker. And if you don't have an ice cream maker, you're seriously missing out raw milk plus like three eggs and a little bit of vanilla and maple. And it's like incredible. Interesting. What about the liver? What about the raw liver? Do you ever do that? I've been doing the liver. I, I, I find you? I enjoy it. Yeah. No. Okay. So, so I, I don't always do yeah. it raw. That's a little bit extreme, but you know what? The people that say that if you soak it in milk and then overnight, and then you eat it raw after that, uh, it takes away a lot of the bitterness. I find that that's true. The texture is what gets me. It's a little slimy. Uh, so I can do the raw, but I do usually just throw a little bacon fat in the pan and then sear it a little bit and just give it just enough sear with some of like that, that bacony flavor. And I think it's great. And it does 
I do feel like I get a boost of energy. Uh, I do it before I work out. So if you know that's worth a try, I'm gonna definitely start the meat in the pocket because I I didn't know like if you were serious. I you know I was like, is this real? Is this dude really carrying around like a cut of meat in his pocket every day? Like how? What, what are the what are the logistics of this? Like, do you have like a, a Ziploc bag? Is it a specific cut of meat? Is it jerky or is it like you know different stuff different days? Dan, you gotta use protection, man. <laughs> <laughs> you don't want a raw dog the pocket steak i've met a couple raw doggers and uh i don't like the lint flavoring but you know you do you um i got the you get cold source too. be careful get a new supplier i so i bought half a cow and i got all the the internal or the good internal organs blended into the ground beef and that I don't the flavor I'm not as big of a fan of so I've had to get a little bit more creative it's been good for my cooking but I went three days with like only eating that ground beef and I was walking around like a like a professional wrestler just like flexing everywhere I was so hyped up it, it really just high tea you just got your tea yeah. just pumped dude <laughs> all right so like if you're out there looking for supplements I know some of the some of my friends on Bitcoin Twitter DM me do you know if this uh, tea supplement works I'm like dude I have no idea but it sounds like pocket steak does raise your tea that's based there was something back there that i had a question and I, i'm sorry to take this back but you you mentioned that you got into you had all these like different thoughts about where your life might go and then you found wine it was just sitting there the whole time you said and and you weren't a wine drinker either yeah not really um was not uh, yeah, I, I was go for I, it. I just wanted to ask. I'm curious about the the time frame of when you found Bitcoin to when you found wine. Did you? It was about did, a did year. Did you already go over that? Sorry, year and a half. <laughs> he he no, didn't exactly cover it. Um, no, no, it was about a year and a half difference. Um, so I start. I had to start the winery like six months before I made wine because I had to get a liquor license, um, and get everything figured out. But so that was like spring 2019 and then i figured out bitcoin fall 2020 so year and a half but it was really just like i was super into personal finance and the lynn alden always talks about the repo rate spike of 2019 uh most people didn't notice that i was watching the interest rates on my savings accounts extremely closely and they all dropped to zero and that was my like okay the system doesn't work for me um difference between two percent interest on a savings account and zero um and it just took me moving in with a Bitcoiner to like have those conversations because that was my, I need to start looking for something else. Something's wrong, but I'm doing a lot of other stuff. Um, and then it finally, like I was looking for Bitcoin. It just, it hadn't fallen into my frame of reference yet. But you were already in wine, right? That's the. Yeah. You know, yeah. For like a year and right. a half. So I hadn't right, right, right. sold any wine ever when I found Bitcoin. Um, and I was definitely like completely invested in wine. So it's been this funny, um, I've been in, I've basically, I made, made my first wine four years ago. Um, it's funny. It's kind of, I feel like my life's been on four year cycles with Bitcoin as well. Well, when, but, when you're, I have to go back when your crop says, you know, when your crop yields every two years, you're, you kind of have to be on a four year cycle for sure. Yeah. Um, it's more, more like I did high school, four years, college, four years, and then seeking out like what what the hell i'm going to do with my life for four years and then the last four years i've been on this um low time preference track and just now like at the end of four years 
I just hit this point with my winery where I've caught up to my production and I can actually like go pursue sales. Cause what all I've done to this point is survive. I've only, I've been like, you know, basically I got to the bottom of, of debt and I've flatlined and I'm just like, stay survive also while trying to buy as much Bitcoin as possible, which, um, you know, has been at the desk, both like Bitcoiners have really helped my winery and trying to buy as much Bitcoin as possible has hurt my winery. But it's like now my business is at a spot where it's like, okay, cool. Everything from here is up because I actually have a bunch of wine. I can actually go pursue sales um, in a meaningful way as opposed to just kind of, I've known I can sell all my wine from here on out. This is the first time I've been like, I don't know if I'm going to sell it all. I better figure it out. Well, you've been. Ask, what, what, uh, let me ask. What, all right, Dan, go for it. Go for it. Okay, go. Go. Let's you said you're just to the point where you can start doing sales, but um, I mean, you, you've been marketing. No, no, no. I've been doing sales. I've oh. been doing sales. It's the point of like, um, basically I've been slow playing. So I released my first wine at 18, mo 18 months of age and I sold out of it. And then I released my next wine at 18 months of age. And I've been selling that for the last two years. So one vintage for two years. And I, I kind of did that on purpose because now I'm at a point where I've reached, I can age my wine for two years continuously, every year release two-year-old wine. And at two years, it's just an entirely different experience. Like, so I have it in barrel for a year and then in bottle for a year before I sell it. And even at six months in bottle, it's a different wine. When you, some, something about hitting two years, every wine's slightly different, but something about hitting two years just makes a huge difference. Like, when I bottle my wine, when I first put it in bottle, I drink it and I'm like, this kind of sucks. And then magically in two years, it's good. Or magically yeah. in another year, so, it's good. So the, what, how confident are you that, that when that two year mark hits that you've got a good product, right? Is like, are, are you able to track that progress? Are you, if there's some signs that you have, or is it like, you got to survive for two years. And at that two year mark, you take a sip and you're like, and do, does this have a future or do I just waste a lot of time and money or like, or do I got to start over? Like, what's that? I mean, I, you can tell like nothing's gone wrong and kind of have faith. I said at the beginning of this, that my dad figured it out and he basically doesn't have a tint sense of taste and smell. Um, but the whole <laughs> secret to like, what I'm doing is that I'm making natural wine. And so the whole point is to take my hands off. I wouldn't be able to do conventional wine because those people go to school for a long time and are trained for a long time on how to do all these different additions to make the wine quote unquote better. But what's I'd like, that's just not special to me. I want to drink what nature made just be a steward and enjoy the sense of place that a bottle of wine gives me more so than tasting what the winemaker thinks is good. So many California wines that I, I, I pick on California a lot, but so many conventional wines that I drink, I take a sip and I say, I've had this before, even if I've never had the producer or anything, they're just so similar. And with natural wines, it's, it's unique. You're kind of in the game for, you know, low time preference, enjoy, enjoy what you got. So that's, that's a good point that you make. And I'll be perfectly honest with you. So I, 
I didn't drink wine until I was, or I didn't really like wine until I was probably in my later twenties. And it was kind of an acquired taste for me, but, and now I like certain reds. I don't really like sweet stuff, but if you were to give me a $10,000 bottle of wine, a thousand dollar bottle of wine, a hundred dollar and a $10, I don't, it, it, it was like a blind taste test. I guarantee you, like I would not be able to tell the difference. Right. And there's a lot of people like that where it's like, yeah, sure. Like this is the expensive one, but it, there is something to it, whether you can t tell the difference or not. Right. Like that there's something to that. Like you said, your dad barely, I don't know if you were joking, but he barely has a sense of taste or smell and he figured it out and you, and you weren't a wine drinker and you didn't go to school for this, but you figured it out. What, how, when you get into this business, like how do you even approach turning it into a business? Like how do you, how do you learn all of the, the complexities that I just tried to articulate? I don't know if I did. How do you learn how to balance that and how to um, develop that? Like what do you read books? Do you watch YouTube videos? Do you learn from OGs, people that have been on the land, your father working in the fields? Like how do you learn this business? I read some books getting going, but I think it's just something that comes intuitive to me. Okay. It it also just going back to what you said at the beginning of that is I think how I was able to move kind of straight to Bitcoin and not touch too much crypto like a lot of people do. There's so much scamminess and shadiness and just like i liken the wine industry as the same juxtaposition as bitcoin and crypto kevin when you first look at it yeah exactly uh when you look at wine you just see wine and when outsiders look at crypto they just see crypto and bitcoin lumped in there but natural so natural wine is mostly used in the united states a lot of european wine is just natural and they don't say that because that's just what they do but it's kind of going back to the the roots of what winemaking is 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 growing good grapes and literally they just make themselves i pick the grapes they ferment on their own and i just move them into physical spots into barrels into the like press all that stuff that's all i do and then I just top off the barrels every month. It's this pretty magical process. And uh, with Bitcoin, it's, you know, everything just kind of works and goes on its own. I mean, there was obviously like, you know, human intervention in the whole thing, but it's this become this natural system that just kind of kind of works on its own in, in the like the humans are kind of the microbiome that uh, ferments Bitcoin, whereas, you know, the yeast ferments the wine. So it's. It reminds me of, uh, this is a totally different industry, but it's, it's almost similar in, I'm a software engineer, I'm a coder and you've got Google, you've got these companies that are full of guys who went to MIT, Stanford, like they, they're writing algorithms for PhDs and they go into these companies and they're writing AI and language model code. And you've got people who like myself, who I learned to code from YouTube and I've hired people. I've worked with people who are all self-taught. And it's, it's almost like this, like you said, you can just learn to do this task intuitively. And if you're a good steward and you pay attention and you just, 
follow the process and you learn throughout the process and you pick up on the right signal and kind of avoid the noise throughout this process, you can create high quality products that compete with any PhD from MIT, what they can write in code. And it's this in both of these are examples of proof of work where it's like, you don't, there's, we're going to go to college. I mean, you, I guess you could go to college and get like this wine making certification or degree and go work for the Costco wine, uh, uh, suppliers or something. I don't know, but you don't have to do that. Like you, if you just put in the work, like you can do basically anything from making natural wine to writing high level AI software. Mm -hmm. The, the wine analogy is tough in that, like, yes, you can. And that's the cool, I think that's the cool thing with being self-taught is you're actually intrinsically motivated to do that thing. Whereas if you go to school for it, like I went to school for geology, I just fell into it and I wasn't passionate about being a geologist, so it didn't work. But if you're motivated to actually do that thing enough to teach yourself, you're one, you're good at learning things, but the two, you're actually, you're probably pretty motivated and want to actually be doing that thing. And if you're going to be an entrepreneur, you have to be pretty motivated and, you know, figure out how to love what you do. Um, I've, didn't necessarily like love wine as we talked about, but it's become the perfect vehicle for my entrepreneurial spirit because I love all the things it brings in my life. It brings me opportunity to have good food. It brings me an amazing barter economy, which has been great. Um, it's the low time preference thing and it's great for community. I mean, I can just get people talking over a bottle of wine super easily but the scary thing is is you not everyone can just start a winery i mean everyone can just start a winery but the reason i did was because i had it there for me and i had the the proof of concept of my dad making good wine and teaching himself so the thing was like i half of the wine i made that first year went bad and the reason it went bad was because i had no idea if it was good and so what I did was I kept having people taste it. I kept opening up the barrels and that ruined the wine to air all because I had no idea whether it was good or not. So now, yeah, it's, I kind of just keep faith. It's got to be good, but, um, there's so much risk and you, I had no idea, even if the wine that didn't go bad was going to be good until two years later. And at that point I'd already invested in three vintages. Can you, can you speak a little bit about your brand because we haven't really gotten into that too much i'm curious about like, this discovery of this brand and like where you guys so, are and how the operation goes peony lane is the name my dad used for the very short amount of time that he was selling his wine he named it after the the street our vineyard is on and i think it's a beautiful name and also i love the sense of place that wine gives so it's a perfect spot for that and my town was named after peonies. My street was the old main street of the town before a flood made them move over. So it, it really just fits that sense of place. And we grow Pinot Noir, so I guess that's an alliteration. But on my label, I have um, the the dump truck on a, on a lot of labels. And that dump truck came with the farm that we bought. It's a 1943 international dump truck that ran until 2002 when my parents were building our house and 
were using that to clear a bunch of junk. It had nine-year-old gas in it and died. And we left it where it died, which was right outside my childhood bedroom window, looking out on what is now a new vineyard that we've planted um, and was apple trees. So I just stared at that truck my entire life. My dad had it in a little bit different sense on his original label. And I wanted to do my own thing, give my own spin on things, kind of put my own energy to it, but give a lot of odes to what my dad did because I would have, you know, I would have none of this if it weren't for him. So give some subtle odes to him, stick to my brand identity, which is, um, I think a little bit more masculine than a lot of wineries and just a little bit more do my own thing. Whenever I have my wine bottle next to a bunch of different bottles, a bunch of different producers, it definitely stands out to me as a very different design. I'm so used to it at this point that when I just see a ton of them, I'm like, oh yeah, it's just a wine label, but uh, it definitely stands out. It's full wraparound. And I think those ones with just like the name of the estate are so boring, so boring, but it's classic, I guess. And it shows classiness, but that's that's like the crypto element of the wine industry that just gives me so much cringe. The the status symbol of wine. It's it's just like like you said, you can't tell the difference between all these bottles. And yeah, a real per a real nice, like good sommelier definitely can. A lot of people can. But who cares? You like what you like. It's a good bottle if you have a good time drinking it. And that's, I think what I learned as an outsider coming into the wine industry is make it good wine and the baseline natural wine with no additives. You're not going to feel like crap afterwards. And if you, if I can just get it, so you have a good experience with me, a good experience, like learning about the product, you're going to be psyched to try it. You're probably going to have it over a good dinner with some friends and be in a good mood. So you're going to like the wine. And if I can just make sure you're happy when you drink the wine, if I can do everything to do that, you're going to like the wine. It doesn't matter where it's ranked in all these things because that stuff is so BS anyway. Where where, where are you currently touching um, your customer base? Like, are you on like retail level? Or are you like how are you? Who is your customer base, and how how does how that all play? So this play goes back to the. I'm just catching up to my production. So what I've done in the past is farmer's markets all summer. I live a couple hours from a bunch of different ski resort towns. So lots of money there. And that's my target, been my target customer is uh, probably rich millennials to, to all the way to boomers wanting to try Colorado wine or being really into natural wine. So I've been on the road every weekend for the last three years um sling and wine and that's good because i need people to try it like when you're a new wine brand there's so there's so much skepticism for a bottle people everyone's had that bottle that they got at the liquor store that someone said was great and it just sucked and they feel like they wasted their money as soon as they popped the cork so i want people to try it and originally that was is this wine good try it and tell me i need that instant feedback but people started liking it it's a great way to introduce your brand to people um, and so, and I was also getting a lot of sales. So that's, that's where I started. And then I got you on make a Twitter good point there. It's an extremely personal way to make a connection with your brand and another, um, customer. Interesting. It's not scalable. 
Like I'm doing as much as I can and it's great to get going. I'm going to continue doing it for at least another year. But like if I did this for 50 years, I would die on the road in an accident, just driving this much or, and, and also I just get insanely burnt out. I haven't had a summer weekend off to like go camping and in, in three years, but now then I got on Twitter and I got on Twitter because my best friend who was orange pilling me just knew everything before I did. So I'd been in Bitcoin for a year uh, before I even had a Twitter account. And I just got on there to learn about Bitcoin. And then it just fit the way I talk in like short little bursts like that, with little comments here and there. And so I just started posting on there and eventually people just asked if they could buy wine with Bitcoin and or buy wine in general because I was just being myself having fun shit posting with everyone else. And, um, that's turned into a enough of my business that I'm the last two winters I had to get a job because I, I didn't have enough wine to like really pursue sales. So, and I was going to do the farmer's market. So I had to get a job in a restaurant and this year, uh, basically all I've done is tweet about Bitcoin and wine, you know, whatever you guys follow me on Twitter. Um, and now I can support myself with that. And, you know, it takes a little while. Cause it's like, yeah, you have to build up a following, but also enough people have to try it to recognize that like, Oh cool. This isn't just some dude trying to make me part with my Bitcoin for some crappy bottle. There's so little trust on wine. Like I said, so now people know that I make good wine. They know natural wine is good for me, good for you. It takes a little education and I'm fully dedicating this winter towards pursuing online sales. I mean, it really, you know, you really captured this, the importance uh, of your sort of time preference and everything in that image you described that's on your label. I mean, so much that went into that, making that image of, and what it means to have this wine as the, as the product of that image because of what that, where that came from. It's, uh, it made me think of like a seed planted in a way visually, like, I don't know where I'm going with that, but. It was a, I mean, it was a long process developing it. And I think the greatest thing about what wine was for me, there's a, like, it works very well for what I'm doing now, but the greatest gift I could have gotten were those first two years of insane stress and questioning what I was doing because I, I didn't know if it was going to work, but I had two years to figure out how to make it work before I ever sold a new wine. So as a first time serious entrepreneur, I've been able to slow play for the last four years and not have just like, just do enough to survive. Uh, there's no pressure, you know, you have all this wine invested, like worst case, you get a job and you just sell wine on the side for the rest of your life because the wine's just going to keep getting better. So it has been a seed. I mean, I planted it in 2019 and have been just slowly cultivating it. Don't die. And now I think it's, it's ready to flourish. Has being a part of the Bitcoin community, has that helped you? I mean, you used, you talked about using, you know, shit posting on Bitcoin Twitter is like a, a way to market and build a brand, but as being a part of the community also built relationships that may help you find distributors may help you find stores and places where you can sell this, um, out in the, uh, the, 
the physical world, the real world. I think that shit posting on Bitcoin Twitter has helped me develop a community more than develop a like marketing strategy because in the end, like my wine is going to reasonably sell itself. If it's good wine, it's going to sell as long as I, I put it in a position to, and so many connections. I've made so many connections in all over and any question I have about anything in life, not just wine or, or marketing or business. I feel like I can just post it on Twitter and I've got a bunch of people helping me out. And so it's the, it's the real connection that has meant a lot to me. Um, like I said, I got on Twitter and sales, sales, wine sales were secondary. This was never the reason I got on Twitter. And then it just kind of started happening. And now, you know, this is what I do for a living. So it's nice. a beautiful uh, thing that you were able to connect those, those, those things. Well, that's, and that's what I realized. Like I'm not passionate about wine. I'm passionate about all the other things around it. So I need to build a business where those things are the priority. The wine is part of it, but it's building the connection, the community, and the, I mean, there's so much grassroots support of my brand. Like if anyone were to, if I were to post something and some random person were to say like, you, I don't know, something bad, like not necessarily about the wine. Cause if you don't like the wine, that's fine. There's plenty of people who love it and you know, it's not going to be for everyone, but I have an army of people that are like there to support me and be there for me um and i think that most bitcoiners feel that way is like you kind of live in the physical world of as if you don't have any that many bitcoin friends you kind of feel crazy at times and you then meet a ton of bitcoiners and it's like such a strong community of people who just kind of get it and are there for the right reasons there for the long-term benefits of the relationship not the not the short-term status or the, you know, instant connection to like make a ton of money there. It's, it's always, it's perfect with wine because everything that I, all the connections I make that are business oriented have to be for the long run because the most important thing I have is my brand it, and the trust that that comes, it comes with. Totally. Um, you've mentioned a couple of times about, uh, the land, um, it's something about the land and the grapes, uh, producing good wine in your region. Can you talk more about the importance of, and, and what factor that plays, like where you're at geographically, the, you know, the geology of it, right. Of, of, of how that affects the wine and how you, what that relationship is like. Yeah. So the three things that matter are, well, I guess four there's farming practices, there's the variety, there's the climate and there's the soil. And farming practices includes water, which is very tied in with the the soil and the climate. But so everything's super connected. But basically, what we do is super hands off farming practices. We're doing the minimal amount of touching it. We're trying to not spray anything. Um, our wine would be definitely considered organic, organic and biodynamic. If I wanted to pursue those certifications, but as a Bitcoiner, I'm kind of just, I don't like any inviting any more bureaucracy into my life. So I don't, but we dry farm, so we're not irrigating and that allows the grapefruits to go super deep. What that does is 
instead of the grape roots collecting at the surface where you have this drip irrigation or even flood irrigation and you continuously having to revitalize that soil with manure and all these other things that you just added you're just adding a ton of stuff to your 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 soil and that's what the wine eventually becomes we have an ecosystem that is completely self-sustaining so just like my wine kind of makes itself the grapes kind of grow themselves and we just concentrate them by cutting off um, suckers and focusing the focusing the grapes um, the climate is we're the highest wine region in north america so i'm at about 5700 feet there's other vineyards up to like 7,000 in my region. We all grow different varieties, but we found that Pinot Noir is the best red wine that grows here. And it's the only place in Colorado that grows Pinot Noir, I believe. And what it does is bright fruit flavors and a ripping, very vibrant acidity. And that's from these huge shifts day to night in temperature. So it gets super hot in the day, super cool at night because of the high elevation, because of all the sunshine and clear days. And that's just great for Pinot. It's great for Riesling. It's great for a couple other whites, but it's not going to be great for everything. And a lot of wine grapes just won't even survive here. So you find what works in your region, both to just grow and what actually grows well and produces good wine. And Pinot Noir has been absolutely incredible for a while in, in Paonia and it in the wine industry, everything takes forever. So like 20 years is young, 30 years is young. So we've had our vineyard for 20 years, never made a name of Paonia wine for Pinot Noir. It's just kind of happening. And there were even Pinot vineyards before us. So it takes a long time, just like in Bitcoin, everything moves extremely slow except in bitcoin i guess some things move extremely fast but the time preference is super low and it just takes a long time to make a name for yourself so it's just kind of now happening for the ver just the variety i love that i grow in the region i'm in and we're all kind of building together there's a few other young winemakers and me um kind of just trying to make a name for ourselves in all of our own different paths 5 years ago did you think that you would be on the verge of, of building a name for your property as being, you know, a Pinot Noir, uh, is known for that. Like, like having a reputation like that takes decades or more to build. You didn't see that no, coming. The, the idea to start a winery was like literally four and a half years ago. I had a call with my dad. He told me the, the economics of wine and I said, Oh, that kind of makes sense. And I started applying for a liquor license that next week. So no, it was literally just a, oh, wow, duh. It's great. Yeah. It's crazy how, how things change. Um, what, what have you learned about yourself the last two or three years in this endeavor? Man, it's, it's been quite a, quite a growth, quite a growth journey. Um, I think I learned to trust myself a lot. Like having the success I've had uh, and betting on myself and just kind of going for it has slowly just led towards just trust your instincts and be yourself and, you know, do what feels right. Um, and that's been super centering. I mean, that's not groundbreaking stuff, but something you, um, you mentioned, uh, 
at the beginning of the podcast, it was about kind of getting away from this uh, fast life, living on the edge and kind of trying to find meaning and purpose like in the day-to-day life, right? And I don't know if you agree with this, but I feel like my what I've learned in the past few years has been very similar trying to find the same thing. And it's kind of like the value of these repeatable routines, habits, rituals, traditions, things that you instill into your life, into your discipline that you can pass on to your family, right? Like these, just these little ways of doing things the right way or, in you know, com- just whatever it is every day to combat entropy that you can produce more, than the energy you put in when you get it this process down tight and you get your routine tight you can just be very efficient and very productive and create very great things that other people could benefit from i don't i, 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 I don't is. i was just saying i don't I, that's what i've kind of learned and i it sounds like your I, life and what you're doing with like the wine it sounds like something very similar where it's you get down this the farming practices, the, the, the way you treat the land, the way you process your wine, like these day to day, you know, everyday life that you're finding, you can find meaning in that and produce great things. So I look back, I, I look where I'm at now and a lot of what I see is ways that I can improve. I think that's just, some of that's having high standards. Some of that is maybe being a little too critical and, you know, not being totally happy with where you're at and and forgiving but i look at where i'm at now and kind of see the flaws the ways i want to improve and then i look back four or five years and i just can't believe i've gotten to where i am with where i was so that almost makes me more bullish than anything is like i don't i think i was shit five years ago but somehow i made it to here and I've improved a ton. So if I can just kind of keep going, I'm sure that I'll get a lot further because I'm continuously improving. So yeah, it's a slow process and you know, I wish I could dial it in and have this perfect routine every day, but I mean, I work alone like I and I'm and I'm someone who's super motivated by people, so it's a definitely a struggle to be a solo entrepreneur in that in that space, but also I have complete freedom to, you know, if I have a day where I just feel like crap and don't want to work, I just don't work. So it's, I don't know, it's a balance of, of, of a bunch of different things, but I think I'm trying to just find what that final destination is and that'll continuously change. But as long as I have something to work towards, it's pretty easy to get up in the day and at least move a little bit okay take a couple steps towards that goal well ben one of the go ahead mike i was going to ask him i was curious you asked about the past i'm curious what you think about the company's future like where if you have a vision for uh where it's headed i'm at this turning point right now where i can finally start putting action into the future it's always just been a yeah when i have enough wine released and literally today is the first time i've had enough wine released to seriously go be aggressive trying to get sales um my idea is to just see how far i can take direct direct consumer sales because that is so much more valuable and 
I don't know, I think I thrive on it for the next year, at least get me to next fall. And then I've always said like, I've this, this is also another thing is I don't know how much wine I should be producing. So I've just kind of been making a ton and like expanding every year. And cause there's no way to scale up quickly. It takes two years. So I don't know how much wine I should be producing. I'm really just trying to answer questions of what this business is going to be four years in. I have no idea. So I could go bigger. I could become a wholesale, a wholesaler and be in a bunch of stores, or I could keep it small and, you know, just ship post on Twitter for a living. Um, I think I want to be bigger than that, but basically my goal is to have a family and be able to support my family as the main breadwinner because I, I was raised by my mom, uh, with my dad being the, the, the guy who, who made all the money. And I, want that for my kids because I was so thankful to have had a loving mother there all the time for me and a father to look up to and see that, Oh, you can just go work hard and and make your dreams possible. So that's, that's my further vision as far as like how to get there. I'm really just answering questions right now. I have no idea what this winery is going to turn into. Um, I'm still so in, in my infancy at five years old. And the vineyard would be, and the vineyard's twenty years old, right? And that's still considered yeah. young, right? Amazing. Yeah, but what, what a, a new long vineyard coming time, up that, that is three yeah. years. So that we planted a, that, a new vineyard three years ago, and we got a couple more years before we'll really get anything from that. That'll expand my Pinot production, double it, which it's super variable. Um, in twenty twenty one, I didn't get any Pinot. Twenty twenty two, I got two barrels. Twenty twenty three, this past year, I got fifteen. So insanely variable. Well, I, I wish I had a, a a glass right now of your wine to cheers you to the next chapter. <laughs> but I let you know before before we let you go, we'll let you shill the the links. But I'm on the website right now. I'm placing my order for. So it looks like you need three bottles for shipping. So I'm 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 getting three bottles right now. So I'll be able to taste it and uh, report back on on. How great it is! Hell yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll look at I'll look at this website and I'll, I'll get a bottle of this stuff. I, I need to. I should taste so, this for sure. I yeah. I wish I I screwed up. I should have sent you guys a bottle to drink during this podcast. But had, oh, that's uh, okay, man. We could have another one, man, and we'll we'll each order one, and we'll have the we'll have the next one. Once our wine comes in, Perfect. we'll we'll do an episode where you'll be the you're not paying us, but we'll be the sponsor. You're the sponsor of the episode. We'll drink it and we'll <laughs> we'll judge it on the air. You know. Yeah, you guys will tell we'll them, you tell know. the people well, if it's good exactly. or not. I know after after taste, listening to this podcast, down. they're gonna be like, "If there's anyone I should listen to about wine, it's Dan." <laughs> Remember, I don't know what I'm talking about, but I will tell you: is d- does this taste good or not? I won't be able to tell you if it's quality, but I'll say it tastes that's good to the me. Only question that matters, man. I would have an only. I would buy it again. Whether would, you yeah. like it? Oh yeah, exactly. That's how I feel. But all my wine, I sell off of PeenyLaneWine.com. P e o n y. And right now doing a release, I'm not sure when you guys will release this, but I assume that I'll probably still have a discount code going. Um, It'll probably be still 2021 release. And you can follow me on Twitter at Ben Justman. If you have any questions about the wine, just shoot me a DM. Um, Hopefully that if that discount code doesn't work when this 
show goes up, I'll honor it. So just hit me up and uh, we'll get you going there. But yeah, I ship all over the United States. There's a, a couple states that give me issues through the website, but just once again, shoot me a DM. I'm happy to answer questions. Uh, the community has been so good to me that I'm, I'm just here to be part of it and um, hope my wine adds to some good Bitcoin discussions. That's great. That's great. Cool, man. Well, thank you very much for... Uh... Well, actually, I do. I have one more thing. How, how are we on time, everyone? Everyone's good? Okay. I did have a question. Ben. I mean, there's a lot. Of, there's a lot I wrote down and wanted to speak to you about, but it would take us into some weird, weird places. So, so there, next time, seriously, yeah, next I would time, love right. to come on again, drink some wine, and let's get weirder. <laughs> um, I think the the one question I had uh, that I could ask you is: um, Did you have anything that was on your mind recently? That you yeah, one of the one of the one of the questions we asked that uh we, we didn't get to because we got the wine was interesting was it was kind of the what we usually ask what what is it about bitcoin that like really sucked you in and like and really made you so interested where you got to this point where you're you know you're you can call yourself a bitcoiner right like so what what was that or like what is it now that's kind of like just warp in your mind and you're just like wow i can't i, I thought i peeled the onion layers and here's another like whole journey to go down so I'll start with then is like I said, I, I got to my, okay, this system doesn't work moment when the interest rate went to zero on my high interest savings account, because I knew that 2% inflation was the stated goal. And so I was losing 2% on all my savings and there was no way I could take zero risk on my money and just keep up. Like I knew I had to invest, but I just wanted to, you know, let's just stay stable with those three to six month savings. And so that was kind of the core of my learning about Bitcoin. That was the the rabbit hole I went down was what is inflation? And the, I remember distinctly telling my Bitcoin or buddy, like, I don't think this, I don't think inflation is real. Like I, I was just so warped on all this stuff. And specifically i remember listening to robert breedlove inter- interview jeff booth about the day the price of tomorrow and working in the vineyard and just having my mind finally wrap around what prices really should be with like fixed monetary instrument like what va- what value is what inflation is what deflation is all that just like clicked for me in a moment. And that was my aha moment. Um, unfortunately, I think I had that at 50,000 went all in and then it crashed to 30, like a week later. So I wish I'd listened to that podcast a week later, but that being said, um, I mean, I, what's been on my mind is actually related to that is I get caught up in the excitement of Bitcoin, uh, when it goes up, I'm so excited. And I think Bitcoin should be valued at infinity, right? So when it goes up, I'm like, oh yeah, of course it's going to infinity. This is especially when I was brand new to it. Of course it's going into infinity. Like that's what it should be. Why would anyone not buy this? And obviously market dynamics don't get there, but I timed the 
the my last four years both so terribly and so good i definitely always you know spash bought the bottoms dca'd all the way through but i've really bought the top and i would have a lot more bitcoin if i had been a little bit more patient but you get swept into bitcoin you go crazy for a little bit and you just want as much as possible especially when you get swept into i figured out bitcoin right as it started launching up and you know that i just went i'm a young guy like i went insane so i think i was thinking about how on the micro level i timed it so poorly i could have so much more bitcoin right now but on the macro perspective the third cycle of bitcoin holy shit am i early like i can i if i zoom out it's like it's like i it's ridiculous how well I timed this. The the I mean, what I'm thinking. Do you guys ever see the stock to FOMO chart? Yeah. So it's you know it's the diminishing returns for the first half and then increasing returns for the second. And I feel like I caught this like right at that middle ground where price is you know over four years so much more flat than it ever has been. Um, right before we start entering the more hyper Bitcoinization phase where it actually becomes globally adopted. So like the first, the first phase is about Bitcoin actually becoming something in the next phase. The second half is about the dollar and all fiat currencies dying. And I'm so happy I got in before that second phase that like everything I think about now damn i wish i'd time that better and i wish i had more bitcoin like it's just if i can just be patient it's complaining like that is going to sound like a billionaire complaining like they lost a million dollars right it's like the i was reading the the old bitcoin talk forums last night because i was like somebody posted like one of satoshi's last posts and it's like 2010 and some guys like i sold my bitcoin i feel like you know i got in too late it's 2010 like i i missed it uh you know you can mine it but whatever it's just like but you zoom out you know just a few years later you would have thousand percent gain and it's just uh it's easy to feel like, ah, shit, I, I bought the top. But like, I think Greg Foss said, it's, it's cliche at this point, but it's, it's a rounding error right now. What you bought it at is a rounding error for what it's going to, you know, it has potential to be in, a, in just a few years, 10 years, even. Definitely. But even back then, like the, I don't think about, oh man, I wish I'd bought it the first time I thought about it because I needed the, I needed like that click of, oh, this system isn't working for me to really dive in and learn about it. And I mean, if I was an idiot buying in, in my late twenties, if I was in my teens or early twenties, like, are you kidding me? I'm so happy. I dealt with like normal life and then became a Bitcoiner when I did, like I would lose it all or be a total shithead and just have a bad life if I was super rich off Bitcoin. So super happy it came when I did when it did um and in the long run like any complaints i have is just is stupid people say a lot um to to troll they say you buy bitcoin at the price you deserve uh but that's not always a bad thing right like some you buy bitcoin at the price you deserve and it benefits you even then well said well said uh ben thank you so much for this evening this was a very fun one and I want to continue the conversation for sure. Yeah, man.
Thanks so much, guys. It's been great chatting. <laughs> you like you like the the awkward exit. <laughs> uh, anyway, yeah, cool. Thanks again for listening to the High Hash Rate podcast. You can find us on Twitter at High Hash Rate, or you can hit up Dan at Heartland Bitcoin, H-R-T-L-N-D Bitcoin, or myself, Mike, at Run Dance Bitcoin. That's all one word, Run Dance Bitcoin. If you're a fellow pleb or you just want to shoot the shit with two high Bitcoiners, reach out to us. Holy Toledo!